Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Alamo Audible Podcast. This is your host, Jared Kalmus, joined, as always, by my co-host, Adrian Bermudez. Trying to mix up the intro there a little bit. We, I feel like I need a good tagline to start off every episode. Mm. I'll, I'll, I'll workshop that. Maybe uh, 2024 season will have something that we can come stronger out of the gate with. Adrian, let me ask you a question before we start. Do you, do you have Friday off work this week? I do not have Friday off of work this week. So I get Veterans Day off, which is awesome. Um, and Canada's actually off as well, which is nice. But, you know, usually it's like, well, I have so many Canadians on my team that it's kind of awkward on the holidays, but they're off as well. Uh, so that means that every single meeting that I would have on Friday gets pushed somewhere into Monday through Thursday. All that to say, I've been extremely busy at work this week and uh, probably not as prepared. As, I'm not as organized on the notes as I usually am coming in. So we're using Adrian's notes uh, and I'll, I'll just say Adrian's note taking uh, for podcast prep is wildly different than mine. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty out of control, man. And this is one of my more polished editions of podcast notes oh baby this, so, this uh, is what i imagine uh connor stallion's uh michigan manifesto notebook looks like <laughs> it's amazing there's like um and i don't always get to sit in front of the television and like take notes on the game like as it's happening so when i do get that opportunity to do so um i'm pretty diligent but i also miss half of the game because yeah. i'm just writing these ridiculous just completely off the wall sort of notes, my, my, my note taking, there's no order to it, but there is a little bit of a flow. I think I have a um, strange, like photographic mind where like, I'll forget like really big moments and, and events in life. And then it just like totally escape my memory, but then I'll remember like the smallest, most minute detail. And one of them, I mean, I don't remember what game it was, but we were in the Alamo dome. It was a big game, rock and crowd. UTSA had some bad play turnover or something and I stand up and I'm mad I'm yelling or whatever and then I look down next to you and you're just furiously typing on the note app on your phone and it's like one long like no breaks there's one long string of text of all these rants <laughs> and now I see the full effect here on, on the screen you have a line on here. I don't even know what this means or what this play. Big boy. It's all caps, by the way, listener. Big boy barn stays up. Bow whistle on the long play. Period space. Grit. So, so Bo should say no. All right. So Bo is actually a typo. It should no, read. Okay, so no whistle. On the, is it, this is his touchdown run where he kind of got hat, uh, hit a line of scrimmage and then this is and ran it in, right? this is the this is the fourth quarter touchdown that UTSA finally scores. It's about nine and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, and we hadn't found the end zone the whole second half. Gavorian Barnes gets stood up, you know, and it's like a goal line call. We're probably on what the two yard line. He gets stood up on the line of scrimmage, maybe even pushed back a little bit, and he's really getting sworn by the whole UNT defense. And I'm kind of waiting for the referees to just blow the whistle, call the ball dead. Right. That's usually what they'll do, like during a swarm tackle after it's gone on for too many seconds. Felt like we were right there on that cusp. And then all of a sudden, Barnes just doesn't stop chugging those legs, gets a bounce 
around it somehow and then finds the end zone when just the grittiest, saltiest run of the day. Big boy Kavorian Barnes stays up. No whistle on the long play. Grit, baby. Oh, my gosh. And that was the dude. Okay. No, dude. I, you just went in and edited it and, and you turned Bo into no. I feel like that was going to be a meme. Bo, Bo whistle on the play. Should have left it as is. <laughs> I'm going to next next Kevorian touchdown. I'm going to just copy and paste that and tweet it out. And like, you know, <laughs> the real the real fans will know. The real listeners will know. It was, though. It was. Oh, it was. It was funny. there. Gritty, gritty play from Kavori, which to me, you know, was the was the concrete moment of solidifying the W for you to yeah. say. It was yeah, like, I feel that we were gonna get that at all costs. And you know, yeah, I'm so- glad we talk about Kavori Barnes first because he probably needs the game ball. Yeah, he does. But I'm laughing now because I'm imagining like that moment I just described where I look down and you're no word like not saying anything, just furiously typing. But now I'm imagining you're at home, like you're what three month old baby is next to you and you're standing up screaming typing big boy barn stays up but what's all the long play here is this great i'm pretty sure i was yelling grit to antonio <laughs> and telling him that's great that right there is i don't grit, know my boy. i don't know if the mic picked up my snort it's been a long time since i snorted on a podcast uh recording so so thanks for that um all right well let's get it on track Obviously, uh, based off our jovial attitude, you can tell UTSA won in Denton, won in the Metroplex for the first time since 2013. They beat the Mean Green 37 to 29. And a game that was probably a little bit closer than the score would indicate, I guess. I mean, they they won by eight. The spread was eight. Um, but I think for most UTSA fans, even when they had a long, what was the highest lead they had in this game? 17 points? I think there was still a lot of anxiety in the fan base just based off the way that North Texas has been that second half team um, that they were going to find a way to come back and make this a game. And and they did just that. But, you know, Roadrunners prevailed. Uh, they played, you know, gritty, disciplined, aggressive, physical football. Got the job done and didn't. Yeah, it was a very, very odd dynamic in this game because really UTSA was in control the entire ball game, we did lead by 17 at one point in the second half. It was 30 to 13, um, which is pretty astounding to think about that it ended up being 37 to 29 at the final score. And so it didn't really feel like UTSA was in control the whole time. At no point were you ever comfortable in this game. It, it was like UNT and the Mean Green were always sort of teetering, lingering on a comeback, right? And they were always right there. And, and that's kind of been their narrative all season long was fall behind and then start to storm back in the third and fourth quarter of the ball game. That, that's mm-hmm. what happened against Tulane. That's what happened against Memphis. Uh, that's what happened against Navy. And these are all crucial one possession losses for UNT. Jared, the mean green kind of did what they've been doing all year long. Right. Um, Giving good teams uh, a bit of a scare and a tough run at the end of the game, but not being able to pull out that win. And yes, the curse is over. UTSA wins a game in Denton, Texas. They win a game in the DFW Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. Not only do we win there to break the curse, we earn bowl eligibility with winning in Denton, which makes it that much more sweeter. I feel like, you know, whenever curses are broken, there's always kind of like some crazy, uh, uh, like, sub headline that comes with it. 
whatever uh, the Red Sox beat the Yankees, where they was they were down zero and three, right? The first time ever come back. There's like another extra thing that makes it special. This time it was getting bowl eligibility on the field in Denton, Texas. That felt really really special. There's a there's a video of Coach Trailer. I think the game clock is still going. It's there late in the fourth quarter. Someone from the front row of the audience is taking it behind the sideline. And he gives us the whole bowling animation where he yeah. swings the arm back. He sets up poses for it, swings the arm back and throws a strike down the middle of the lane. Um, like that was really cool for him to do that on Denton's sideline. That felt very, very good. Um, but yes, we exercised the Denton demon. And uh, it, it felt really, really sweet, man. I know it was sweet for Trailer. I know it was sweet for this team. It certainly was sweet for this fan base, man. Yeah, Coach Trailer was juiced up. You can tell that he he enjoyed this win quite a bit, for mm-hmm. sure. Big um, time. A few other things to point out with this win. UTSA now takes a comfortable lead in the series, 7-5. Um, they are now tied for the longest win streak in the series. UNT has a, t- a three-game streak. UTSA has a three-game streak. So we'll see if the Roadrunners can win it in 2024 to get that record. Um, but man, just great showing from UTSA. I mean, they didn't play super clean on offense, which I know feels a little weird, you know, when you look at the numbers they put up, especially in that first half. But they, I really think they left a lot on the field. I don't think Frank was very clean. And I think a lot of that's because they never got into a good rhythm because UTSA was just pounding the ball so much in that uh, first half. Uh, Devin McEwen was out as well, so they're really, uh, you know, really limited in the past game on that on that side. Though on the defensive side, you know, I saw a lot of criticism about the UTSA defense, but I thought relative to opponent's strength on offense, I thought it was one of the best performances of the year from the defense. You know, I, I don't know if UTSA fans were aware of, of just how good UNT's defense has been this year with Chandler Rogers at quarterback, uh, but I was really healthy. Sorry, I was really happy with their performance. Um, of the defense, you just had so many injuries this year that subliminally I'm always thinking about health, and that's why I said that. I think, um, but it really starts, you know, right off the bat, dude. Brandon Brown hitting the quarterback twice on the first two plays of the game. Uh, Oof. they got pressure on that third attempt as well, three and out. North Texas threw out their entire game plan after that opening series. Uh, they started rolling Chandler Rogers out of the pocket on almost every single pass attempt after that, so that was. That was shocking to see such a dominant performance uh, right at the beginning there that really made North Texas throw out everything they prepared and, and move to plan B. Um, so I thought that was it's, awesome and definitely the most uncomfortable that Chandler Rogers has been running that North Texas offense since he got there. Um, and, that, and that's a huge testament to the Roadrunners defense, I think. It's a big commonality with the AAC win streak is the defense having a statement on the very first possession Hmm. that the opposing offense takes over on. There's a sack, there's turnover, there's back-to-back big play losses, right? And so uh, UNT starts off with the football, goes three and out right away. Their second possession, they move the ball downfield in three plays, but then Rashad Wisdom punches out the ball on the five-yard line for a forced Hmm. fumble. And it's those big dramatic moments from the defense to start the game and to really set the tone. And like you said, I think made the opposing offenses have to shift their approach and their game plan. And we saw how Chandler Rogers having to move out of the pocket affected his game. This is a guy that had a 65% completion rate going into that game. After the first half, Chandler Rogers was only 10 for 23. 
and he throws two interceptions, his first interception since week one of the season. I think he was close to 300 attempts without an interception. Yeah, close to 300 passing attempts without an interception. And, yeah, he gets two of them by way of batted passes uh, at the line of scrimmage falling into UTSA's hands on the pick. Just a thing of beauty um, on both of those. But, Garrett, on, on UTSA's offensive side, it was really like a tale of two halves. You know, mm-hmm. I think you saw about the best offense that you could see from UTSA during that first half. And Trailer was echoing the same sentiment in his press conferences. This this team scored on every single offensive possession in the first half. All five offensive possessions, they went down the field and they got points by way of touchdown or by way of field goal. And it was just incredible stuff. And it was all run game dominance. You had 233 rushing yards in the first half, 338 yards of total offense in that half. And uh, I mean, really, really dominance. But then something happened in the second half. And, you know, Coach Trailer spent a lot of time talking about it. As happy as he was with this game, I think he was also disappointed with how that second half ended up shaking out. Yeah. Guys got tired. Um, Guys got a little bit too comfortable maybe as well with uh, mm. how well the offense had been dominating throughout the first half. But he even said in his Monday media round table, we got a little bit too loose, smelling ourselves a little too much. Didn't like the way they finished the game. So I read that as a little bit, all right, we're getting a little too comfortable here mm-hmm. there in Denton. And um, well, we've seen this team going to Denton and be too comfortable before. And, uh, yeah, you don't want that to happen in the second half, especially against a team that has that comeback ability. But the defense bailed out a sluggish second half from the offense. They are really Um, playing complimentary football right now, which is great to see because mm -hmm. when the offense needs a boost, the defense is always right there to force the three and out, generate a turnover. Um, And then when the defense is struggling, the offense can go blow for blow, right? So it's great to see that it doesn't feel like a win or loss is hanging on the balance of – you know, one side of the ball or the other, uh, which is great to see. And, you know, I thought that it was really encouraging to see, you know, UTSA goes into like a four or six minute offense or whatever on the last possession. And they had struggled so much in that second half offensively that I was like, there's no way they're going to be able to get the first downs they need. You know, they're going to have to punt the ball away. Um, and the defense is going to have to win the game. They're going to have to, you know, essentially prevent North Texas from having the drive 2.0. Uh, but it turns out UTSA offense found a spark. And, you know, I think um, to the point about the offense maybe being a little uh, too comfortable in the second half or, or being a little tired or whatever, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Because when it came down for, you know, this is the offense's chance to seal this game and walk away with a victory, they found a way to start moving the ball, get on the ground. Running backs made some great cuts to pick up an extra three, four yards on a carry. Uh, we saw off the linemen get to the second level again for the first time since the first half. Um, so I think that to me showed that the offense was capable of it. They were just tired or maybe just not giving full effort or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't have too many concerns about the offense heading into this week based off that second half. I just think that everything was coming so easy for them. in that first half, it's hard to stay locked in when, you know, you're essentially sleepwalking your way into touchdowns. Um, maybe that's a good segue for me to talk about how bad that North Texas defense is. Like when I, I was so. when I was breaking down the film, I I was just honestly disgusted that that's the best that North Texas had to offer on defense. And 
Like, I know they got hit hard by the portal. I know they probably don't have the personnel they have to run the scheme they want to run. Um, but that, that was the worst defense I've seen in my film breakdown all year. And honestly, in a, in a while, uh, Louisiana Tech was pretty bad last year. I remember them just not. They did not have good alignment, not, did not have good run fit. North Texas is much of the same, man. They are they're trying to run a defense that they cannot run. Uh, it was ugly, dude. It was really ugly. Like there, I remember there was one play. UTSA ran a split zone. Oscar Cardenas is the H back, so he does like that insert block where he kind of comes across the line of scrimmage and then goes into the uh, the backside hole. And almost always, when you run that play, he's going to pick up a linebacker. But there was no linebacker for him to pick up, so he just kept running and he went and blocked a free safety. And I don't think it was a touchdown. I think it was like a thirty yard run. But it's just like. That should not happen. Like, it's great for the offense when it happens, but something is seriously wrong with the defensive scheme. If you run a split zone and a 280-pound tight end ends up blocking a free safety like 15 yards off the line of scrimmage. Like, I I, I mean, I was just disgusted. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought up the, the inept North Texas defense because I did see some takes about Second half, UNT defense really stepped it up, but I completely disagreed with that. Really? I feel like the UTSA offense slowed down way more than UNT's defense stepped up. I didn't think UNT's defense was playing better in the second half than they played in the mm-hmm. first half. I think UTSA got lazy on offense, and I think the offensive play calling was horrendous at the beginning of that second Yeah, half. that opening series was really bad. Really, really bad. Terrible. We saw three straight passes after after uh, uh, 233 first-half rushing yards. We come out on the opening possession because we defer the kickoff, so we get the ball first in the second half, and we run three straight passes. And one of those was a uh... – backwards pass to Taiki Ogle Kellogg who was coming in motion. And look, man, I love Taiki. I was just like waxing poetic about Taiki. I think on the last episode, uh, definitely the player mm-hmm. I've had the most fun watching this season, mm-hmm. but UTSA should never throw a pass backwards to Taiki. Like that's just not putting him in a position to succeed. He is a downfield deep ball threat. He's not a guy that you throw a bubble screen to. It's just like, I don't Oh, I don't know. Oh. Yeah. Well, and then there Hate was it. a third. And then late, I think the following possession, we get a, after we got the the interception, the first interception on Chandler Rogers, we have a possession where there's a third down and some distance, probably third and seven. And we run it directly to the sideline with Kavorian Barnes. I think we only mm-hmm. pick up three yards. We end up having to settle for a field goal, but there was a lot of chunk of field on the other side on the hash side that yeah. looked like it was the better way to run. And so it was just weird. You know, it seems to be like we're seeing these wrong play calls for, mm-hmm. you know, down and distance and the situation and, and what the defense is giving us read wise. This has been a consistent issue week by week. Maybe it's got a little bit better, but then you see what happened in the second half last week and you're scratching your head again. Like what the hell is going on? Yeah. I'm, I'm not a fan of that quick toss to the, the boundary side. I, I don't I just, I, I feel like it's so rare to see any team have success with that. And I, I have heard explanations like, Oh, you shorten the field. There's less room for the lineman to run. But um, I, I don't like that play, but especially in this scenario, because if you go back and you look at all of UTSA's long runs, they had against North Texas, almost all of them were plays where the UTSA running back, like, you know, 
was running inside zone and then there was nobody on the outside. So they bounce out to the field side uh, and had this huge pickup. So like, I don't know why you would run the exact opposite of that in that situation and take right. away what's worked best for you. Um, I, I do see both sides of your argument about, you know, the UNT defense wasn't better. The UTSA offense was worse. I think both things are true. But when I did my film breakdown, I like really wanted to understand how UTSA ran the ball just completely at will in the first half and then couldn't do it in the second half. I mean, I think the blocking was not as good for sure. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I noticed from the UNT side is I thought their safeties were much more involved in the run game. Uh, they were coming downfield quite a bit more. Um, they also stopped run blitzing with their linebackers. I don't know why they were doing that. That was, um, they were doing like these little fire zone blitz, uh, with their linebackers and their linebackers just are not good enough to break through a good defensive one offensive line. It's like they run into Corey Gondet and they get stonewalled. And then UTSA just has nothing but green grass in front of them until they get to the safeties. Um, but in that second half, those linebackers weren't blitzing as much and the safeties were actually coming down and run support, which they weren't in the first half. So my thought process when I was rewatching that was like, man, UTSA could have absolutely killed them with play action passing. And they didn't really do that. They had some sideline throws. They did some RPO type stuff. Uh, but I think if they would have ran, you know, real play action and, you know, have Oscar or Houston Thomas, you know, kind of leak out um, and get up to that next level, uh, probably could have had some easy touchdowns with that. So I thought that was a missed opportunity there. But yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. a mix of issues for sure. And Trailer brought it up. He said that the offensive line was extremely gassed in that yeah, second. They half. ran a lot of plays, so, a lot of run plays. Sure, yeah, yeah, a lot of run plays. You know, lose and, a little bit of and because North Texas's defensive scheme was awful, the linemen were running up to the second and third level, so they were running five, right. 10, 15 yard sprints more than sure. you usually would. <laughs> sure, sure, that's a great call. That's a great call. And uh, it got a little bit scary there towards the end of the third quarter, fourth quarter. You know, UTSA is getting these stops. They're they're forcing punts. They're getting an interception. Um, and UTSA wasn't quite getting any return on that defensive investment for a few sequences there. And I think UT pulls to about 21 to 30. And now it's you're, you're kind of starting to say, OK, we're going to have a big finish here. And then it's the second tipped pass, which I believe it was Nick Booker Brown that had both of the of the batted passes. The on second those one was Martavius French. I went back Martavius to French that to confirm. Okay, because yeah. like okay. French, uh, he actually had a really really savvy play on that. He was playing that linebacker position, and he like uh, faked like he was gonna uh, blitz, and then he dropped back. I might have that vice versa, uh, but he definitely like deceived Rogers and what his assignment was on the play. He jumps up and he tips the ball. But then, like, as soon as he tips it, he turns and he looks to see, you know, is someone going to catch this ball? And he sees Donnie right. make the interception. And then French, I don't know if this is legal, but French, like, threw a cut block on the <laughs> UNT player that was right in front of Donnie. And then it right. just completely cleared up Donnie. So, like, two super heads up, like, motions, I guess you could call it, in the same play um, that showed a lot of football IQ and a lot of uh, a lot of selflessness. So I, I was really happy to see that. Also, uh, Martavis got the start, and I don't know if he'd been starting most games. So that was cool to see him uh, make that big-time play. That was my takeaway from both of those batted balls into interceptions. First, the Booker Brown to Trey Moore, and then the Martavius French to Donye Taylor was unbelievable reactions on mm-hmm. those plays from everyone involved to getting your hand up, to deflecting the ball, and then being able to find the deflected ball in the air, get underneath it, and get the interception. Uh, Just a thing of beauty 
to see that quick time reaction and just to see that nose for the football from this defense because it didn't seem like we had it for the first part of this season. And now it seems like we are we are sniffing it out every which way. And we did that against UNT. And yeah, that was a beautiful block. Donnie Taylor goes 78 yards down the sideline and which without Donnie Taylor's 78 yard return to the 10 yard line, I don't know if the UTSA offense gets any points off of those. I don't turnovers. know either, man. You know, and, and that game might be a hell of a lot scarier. UTSA has to punt the ball after another turnover. So that's whenever Kavorian Barnes, you know, books it in on that, on that gritty run, long play, no whistle that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. And that one felt like it sealed the day, but just a beautiful thing. And and uh, and Jeff Taylor talked about how they practice you know, the, the tip passes and, mm-hmm. and deflecting balls and arm tackling the cornerback mm-hmm. to get that ball out and punching the ball out, which we saw a tip pass and a punched football out from the defense this week. So finally, you know, that that practice repetition is starting to show on the football field. And and again, it's, yeah, a, it's and- a matter of being in the right place at the right time. And it certainly is when it comes down with catching those deflated passes for the interception. There were two other forced fumbles that UTSA didn't recover as well. Brandon Brown forced a fumble uh, on right. Rodgers. I think that first or second play of the game. Uh, man, imagine if UTSA recovers that one and they're already in like pretty much in the red zone to start the game. That would have been crazy. Um, and then to Kyle Wakefield, I think, forced one on a punt return or a kickoff return or something like that, that UNT was able to jump on. Uh, but just goes to show, I mean, and we've been, we've been saying this, you know, early in season when UTSA was not getting this turnovers, like if you're playing with good technique and you're doing the drills, you know, to generate that opportunity to to knock the ball out or to get an interception, it's going to come right. Um, and now just, you know, law of averages, UTSA didn't have any turnovers for like six weeks or whatever it was. And now, yeah. you know, it's evening out and they're getting, you know, incredibly lucky. I mean, like the, the interception that Trey Moore had, the ball popped right into his hands. It was just like that pick six that FAU had against UTSA. I think, or was that, that was FAU, right? Where like the, the defensive lineman, like already had his hands out and oh, he was, was like, right on the there. 10 yeah. yard line. Uh-huh. And then he just yeah. like walked it in. I mean, that's yep. football, man. There's a, there's a lot of luck involved in this game and, I'm not saying luck is what determines wins and losses. Very, very rare. That's the case. Um, but it, it'll, it'll, it'll come around on you. You know, it'll averages out. Yeah, look, and it was scary stuff there at the end. You know, Chandler Rogers goes downfield, and they get the touchdown and the two point conversion twice um, as that second half is is mm-hmm. dwindling down. And so I think that's maybe why people are giving some flack to the defense, but. You know, I really don't think it's warranted. Uh, I think the defense played a hell of a game. And and we've seen this defense really clamp down whenever they need to throughout this entire conference run that we've been on. But to go back to the run game, Jared, uh, you know, the first half dominance, yes. Uh, The second half follow-up, yes. So we had 8.6 yards per attempt in the first half. That drops down to 2.6 in the second. But what is most impressive was the committee Man, you had three running backs, four if you include Frank Harris, who scrambled 10 times, four guys with 10-plus rushing plays. Wow. Uh, really running back by committee. When you've got Kavorian Barnes running 16 times, Rocco Griffin running 10, Robert Henry running 13, Frank Harris running – I mean, the distribution of leg exhaustion, right? It's so – Mm-hmm. well done that you got fresh legs from mm-hmm. from three call it four new running backs yeah, yeah you're gonna you're gonna have down. fresh legs against rice this week too it's gonna carry over oh, yes 
Uh, spur oh, of the moment trivia question. I don't know the answer. If, I mean, it, it's probably more of a rhetorical question. When is the last time, if ever, UTSA had three different running backs score a touchdown in the first half of conference game? I feel like that's probably never happened. Three different running backs score a touchdown altogether? I, I don't think would – I don't know if that's uh, ever happened. You're going to have some blowouts where you're going to put the third string, fourth string guy in, and, and they might score. You know, like Kadrick Hobbs has had a touchdown and a blowout. You know, stuff like that. But sure. in the first half of a game when it's, you know, usually going to be still in, with, with a contention, uh, that was really impressive. And, you know, we said coming into the season this might be the best – all-around talent level this running back position's ever had in program history. And I, that game, to me, was was proof of that. We really saw it. All three of these guys, guys would be starting at a lot of, lot of G5 schools and having amazing, you know, 1,000-plus rushing yard seasons. So I'm taking off Frank Harris's 53 yards. So that puts us at 234 between three different running backs. Crazy. I mean, come on, man. That is ridiculous. Oh, it's a ridiculous failed, amount of volume. We failed to mention earlier that UTSA set their season high for rushing yards within the first half of the North Texas game. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yes. And it wasn't they deep. were missing a starter in the first half. Payne Hebert had to step in as a starter because Terrell Haynes got ejected um, against ECU. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. And And you know what? We had the big, tough man running play from Kavorian Barnes to get us that touchdown to provide the ultimate cushion, got us at 37 points. But Jared, on UTSA's final offensive possession, the last drive of the game, fourth and one and third and one, up the gut, Frank Harris keepers, Old-fashioned, you get the yard when you need to. The team that gets the yard when they need to wins the football game. UTSA did it twice, once on fourth and one, and then again on third and one to own the rest of the game clock, get into victory formation, and run it down. I loved the way that we finished that game on offense with those two big runs just straight up the gut. Mm-hmm. Getting that yeah. push. Well said. That was a well thing said. of beauty. That was yeah, a thing it, of beauty. It was, it was big boy football, without a doubt. That's right. That's right. And and Trailer had a quote on Monday, or I think even after his, I think it was the post game. He said, uh, yeah, today wasn't his best game. Talking about Frank Harris. Mm-hmm. Today wasn't his best game, but it was his grittiest game. Um, and I think that's true, man, because he found a way to make it happen despite only completing 13 of his 25 uh, uh, touchdown attempts. I'm sorry, pass attempts. No touchdowns, no interceptions, but he runs the ball 10 times. He found some receivers. He missed on some throws. He had some bad drops also take away from his stat line. But he got it done, man. He willed it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Running backs willed it. And it was just a really impressive, gritty, hard-fought game there in the second half, man. Yeah, you know, I was kind of laughing because like a lot of UNT media had been talking about how Frank's not a running threat anymore. And and they're right. But then Frank goes and busts off, you know, with a 35-yard run tack on a 15 yard late hit. Uh, they scored in 53 seconds on that end of the second half drive. It, it was just kind of ironic to me that like that had been such a talking point. And then Frank goes and busts that huge play on the, on the ground to set up a score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just, that's just perfect. It's really, really perfect. Um, but yeah, trailer admits didn't like the way they finished the game. He was disappointed. Mm-hmm. Mentioned that they watched this UNT team do this exact thing. Mm-hmm. They, they knew behind. they knew the risk, right? There's there's no surprise yeah. that North Texas second half team. Yeah. 
I think they spent time preparing for it, but you know, in that, you know, there was a, there was like a, a weird dynamic between trailers reactions and, and, t- and talking points during that game that he was happy, but he was also a little bit let down yeah. with the way things finished in that game. And he admits the play calling got a little conservative and mm-hmm. uh, you sort of saw, saw the, you know, playing not to lose a little bit there. I mean, that's, um, that's, that's how you instill a championship mindset into a team where you go on the road in a place you haven't won in 10 years, you win by eight points and you're still wanting more. You're still invalid, right? Because we know what this team's capable of. You're still holding them to that expectation of like this cut it this week, but it's probably not going to cut it against Tulane in New Orleans. You oof, know what I mean? Or if UT's like gets to the championship game, whoever they're going to end up playing, you know, it's just going to be, you, you can't perform like you did on offense that second half and beat a championship team. And, and that's not a slide to North Texas. I mean, North Texas fans will agree with me. They're not a championship caliber team this year. They're, they're, they're a strong team, but it was enough for UTSA to win. And that's not going to be the case every week in this conference. That's right. That's right. And trailer had a point where he said, you know, I talked to the team about that. They took it well, but that's definitely something that they spent time on in the locker room and in the race facility, in the meeting rooms talking about, Hey, we can and we need to, we must be better, right? So I think that's a great point, Jared. It absolutely is the mentality of a championship team. We're seeing it come together. All in all, this was an extremely gritty, extremely hard-fought game. Um, there's there's one thing that I do want to mention, a bit of a con here. Chris Carpenter had a mm-hmm. horrible punt muff on a bounce kick. This was a complete brain fart. This was a complete, just, you know, you forgot how the rules worked for just a second. Cause Chris Carpenter knows you can't touch that ball. Yeah. But something happened there in the second half, you're comfortable. You're not totally locked in. And I think that's like the perfect example of just getting a little too comfortable. Right. And, and mm-hmm. being a little bit lazy, you've got to be that locked in every single snap. Yeah, UTSA got lucky there for sure. I don't know how he came up with that football, just like the no, position that he was in when the ball came out. I, I rewatched it three times. I'm like, I don't know how in the hell he found himself on top of that one, uh, but that was great. Um, they also had a missed assignment on a kickoff return as well. They let a guy get loose for you know a nice like 40, 50-yard return. Um, yep. I think it was Wakefield that was out of his lane on that one. I'm not. It's so hard to tell for the TV broadcast because you – you know, they, they're not showing like the angle that all the guys are taking in their in their coverage lanes. Uh, but of course, Wakefield did force a fumble that they ended up not uh, receiving. So, you know, don't want to talk pile on him. But again, just goes to show those small things like that are going to take a toll once you get into the, um, you know, championship kind of uh, matchup. You know, I'm kind of treating the two lane game as if it's a play in for, you know, the championship game. So I'm kind of counting that as a as a playoff game, if you will. Right, when, yeah. When I talk yeah. about these kind of championship games, whatever. Gotta yeah, get there. Um, Gotta get there. Um, let, let's talk about North points. Texas a little bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Attendance was terrible, man. That was disappointing to see. <laughs> and Jeff Trailer took some shots at it, man. So he's asked about the large recruit crowd that was in attendance at UNT. Hell, there may have been more recruits and I was going to say that, dude. They had there like, was fans. They had a, <laughs> the only section on the UNT side that was full at kickoff was the recruits' parents. Oh my gosh, man! So, the trailer spends a whole part of his of his Monday presser talking about how, and he's asked directly about being there, winning in front of recruits. But he says, you know, I, I don't want to 
have these recruits come to the Alamo Dome. So those same recruits come to a UTSA game. They see our crowd in the Alamo Dome. They see how good that crowd looks. And uh, you could tell he was really getting a kick, and he was taking some shots. He was. There were two or three different sentences that he said that were different subliminal shots at the lack of audience. When I heard that question, I I just assumed it was going to be one of the ones that he was just going to kind of skirt around and not really address head on in his answer. But he went straight for it, dude. And, And that's one thing I really love about Trailer in these like in conference in state games. And I think we saw Louisiana Tech as well. He he tends to take it a little bit more personal with those because he knows the recruiting aspect of it. And he's mentioned he mentioned that in a press conference this week. And he's absolutely right, man. I, I love that. I absolutely love it. It's kind of adds to the degree of the rivalry. He was, you know, he's like, he's like, look, y'all care about the rivalry, but we care about the recruiting. Yeah. Which is a rivalry aspect, right? And that's something that he takes a lot of pride in when they go over there and win. And you do it against a UNT team that y'all have had some bad blood with. You do it in the stadium that you lost your undefeated dream season in two years ago. Yeah, it meant a lot to him. And he did spend some time, didn't give us the politi- politically correct answer there. Mm-hmm. Did spend some time rubbing it in to UNT. And so, you know, you know, he gets a kick out of that, man. Did he you notice um, the handshakes after the game trailer? It seemed like he had a little heated confrontation with the North Texas coach. I think it was Chris Gilbert. Did you oh, see that? Oh, no, I didn't see that. I was probably yeah, typing I mean, in my notes app. I, I'm not a lip reader, but I thought I picked up a that's BS. And he was like pointing at something. It, it didn't seem to me like he had beef with, if it was Coach Gilbert, I'm going to assume that it was. Um, it didn't seem like he had beef with Coach Gilbert. It's like he was complaining to Coach Gilbert about something else. That was interesting. I don't know. It, it, they weren't bro hugging it out. You know, they, they had a no. you know a, a nice handoff or or whatever. But uh, yeah, he was upset about something. But trailer had something that he needed to say to him, and he said it. Yeah, and I'm sure those right. guys have a relationship because Gilbert's an old Texas high school football coach. They probably have known each other for 20, 30 years. You know, so that's right. That was interesting. That's right. We got to have the respect. I love that little mafia component to uh, the, the, the coaching <laughs> yeah, the, world. There's always one. Um, <laughs> you okay, got to so respect. Then, yeah. Last question. So when we went on to Noe's Mean Green show last week, he asked us, like, would you, as a UTSA fan, are you more scared facing a Seth Luttrell team or an Eric Morris team? And uh, I, I copped out on that answer just because, like, I haven't really seen him enough to, to know. Uh, but having seen him firsthand... Do you think like Eric Morris is the guy or should they stuck with Latrell? Like, I guess, do you see a brighter future for North Texas under Morris from seeing him up close? I don't know that that's necessarily true. I, you know, if, if Seth Latrell has Chandler Rogers, if Seth Latrell has this exact yeah. same football team, does he get one or two of these one possession losses? Right. Cause that's Navy Memphis. Tulane and now UTSA all have been decided by one score. Another way to phrase that is if Austin Ani was the quarterback for Saturday's game, I think UTSA wins by 20. UTSA runs him out of the building. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Do, and as a team that, all played, that, that UTSA had to beat on the last possession of the game during the regular season last year on a walk-off touchdown as time expires essentially is is the Seth Luttrell team that UTSA had to get by with yeah, Austin Good point good point um and then to, to kind of build off that do I think that Eric Morris is gonna have Chandler Roger level quarterbacks more consistently than Seth Luttrell did 
Yeah, I think so. Maybe so. Yeah, I think so. I, I still don't understand how Rogers wasn't the starter from day one, but whatever. Um, but I, I am I'm really concerned about the defense, and if if they keep that defensive coordinator, like, I mean, I just these these leech air raid coaches like just tend to have really really bad track records with defense. Like, you hear a lot of stories like, oh, they don't even watch the defensive practice and all that kind of stuff, and. Uh, that's a really poorly coached defense. I don't think there's any way to sugarcoat it. Like, yes, they have talent issues over there. They don't have the personnel to run the scheme, but dude, you got to do something to put your guys in position to compete. And uh, right. I don't know. As just someone that appreciates good football, it was hard for me to watch that North Texas defense. It's it's even worse. I mean, like you, I go, I go read the North Texas fan post on Main Green. I see their tweets and stuff, and I'm like. I'm always like, oh, like they're being fans are dramatic. And I, I mean, I think it's worse than what a lot of the fans said about that defense. It was it was gross. It was really bad. Um, one thing on the UTSA side that's a little bit concerning is, is the health of the team going into the last quarter of the season. Rashad Wisdom and Ken Robinson played every single snap against yeah. UNT as well as Joshua Cephas due to a little bit of depletion there in the safety department and on the wide receivers department. Jeff Trailer mentioned on both of those counts that we lost guys late in the week during practice. You know, McEwen and Amador, he expected to be in the game, um, ended up not being able to. And um, same thing on the safety side. So that's um, one thing, you know, as these guys continue to get later into the season, more and more snaps, more and more wear and tear, you do need some fresh legs at the position and, uh, you know, that's uh, that's one thing that, you know, mm-hmm. Jeff Trailers had to battle a lot of these injury woes through his whole tenure here, Jared. Um, it's been a consistent issue. And, of course, every team's going to be injured going right, into That's the, what I was about you know, to say. Every, every team's in that boat right now for sure. Absolutely. But, yeah, one thing to sort of keep your eye on and watch, um, Rashad Wisdom also set up a program record for most tackles in a career. Rashad yeah, he did Rashad. say in his interview day that he thinks Jamal's going to beat him next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And a we lot have of these super juniors are going to have records that last a long time, though. A COVID year. Yep. COVID year. And uh, and Zay Frazier re- returned from, from academic issues, which was a weird story, weird sub-story in itself. Apparently, mm-hmm. there's some things going on with his eligibility. They were going mm-hmm. back and forth with the administration. But uh, did you see anything from Zay? I didn't notice him on the field. Um, I saw him, he did play some snaps at cornerback, so he was out there, I saw. But um, I only saw him on special teams. But, I mean, he, okay. he seems fully back, fully available. So we'll see how they work him back in. Very good. Very good. And, um, man, tremendous, man. Den Demon is exercised. Team's 5-0. Dude. 5-0 last, conference, baby. Last thing I want to mention before we do some Patreon shout-outs and hit a Cumbia break. Big news this week. UTSA, Tulane, end of the regular season, Thanksgiving matchup. Selected for the Black Friday, 2.30 p.m. ABC broadcast. A million plus people are going to be watching that game. People will be eating leftover turkey. You know, they're going to be waking up from that post-turkey uh, nap on that uh, Black Friday. It's going to be beautiful, man. Great day for football fans. It's going to be an awesome game. I will be there in attendance. I'm fired up. You know, I was kind of worried about 11 a.m. kickoff because, like, man, like, you know, tailgate a little bit in New Orleans on bourbon. The bars don't close on bourbon street, you know what I'm saying? And then uh, heading up to uptown for the game. I mean, it sounds like a dream come true. So I'm glad it's a little bit later kickoff. Right. 
Right, 2.30 slot on ABC three-letter network. Only so the cool. Roadrunners' second time in program history playing on a three-letter flagship American cable broadcast. First time it's ever happened to a regular season game. Mm-hmm. Last time was only because it was a bowl. And Black Friday, everyone's sitting at home on the couch with the family, putting in orders on their phone from all their different <laughs> little e-commerce stores. That they no, they're, they're on Audible.com buying our sick merch, Adrian. Oh, baby, you got that right. You know, watch out for the Black Friday sale. And, uh, dude, yeah, man, that honey-baked ham seared on the pan with some ham and <laughs> eggs that morning. You know, dude, I'm going to give out some free game. I'm going to give out some free game on this pod. Oh, HEB is not a sponsor. We would love for them to be a sponsor. I know we got some HEB corporate listeners. Uh, But (laughs) HEB does a curbside pickup where you could get a Thanksgiving meal for four or a Thanksgiving meal for eight. Pretty affordable. And you just got, you don't have to deal with the craziness inside the HEB. You just park curbside, they drop it in your car, and you got a full Thanksgiving meal. And it's good. It is. Legitimately good. Everything is pre-cooked. You just heat it up. Um, Highly, highly recommend. We will be doing it again this year. Oh, my gosh. That sounds phenomenal with all the sides of the cornbread. Everything. I think you pick the size that you want, I believe. For sure. Yeah, Yeah, dude. Don't have H-E-B pecan pie, the most elite level of pecan pie. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome stuff. Uh, H-E-B invoices in the mail. Thank you. well, thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers, as always. Last week, they got early access to uh, one of the best interviews I think we've ever done. We had UTSA legend Josiah Taliefa on the show. Uh, we got his story, you know, not getting recruited by North Texas, despite growing up 10 minutes down the road from campus. You know, his NFL journey, you know, he shared some personal stuff with us about what that was like spending that year or two in the league. Um, get to hear a little bit about, you know, his current role. Uh, coaching high school ball. It was just great to catch up with him. An awesome guy. Football IQ off the charts, just as we expected. Uh, him describing his play where he hurdled uh, Jeffrey Wilson to sack Mason Fine. I'll, I'll never forget that. That was so cool. I had a huge oh, smile gosh. on my face when he was talking about it. Just football junkie, amazing. you know. Amazing moment. That was such an amazing moment. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. But yeah, we did post that on our Republic of Football feed. But as a reminder, everything gets posted on our Patreon and you get it early over there. Definitely the best way to listen to the pod. Uh, and that also includes our baseball coverage on Around the Birdbath also gets posted that feed. And I'm going to tease another big time former player interview that Dan's got lined up over there. I'll call it professional baseball player and leave it at that. I'm uh, really looking forward to that one. That should be Ooh. getting recorded, I think, tomorrow. So stay tuned for that. And thank you to our board of trustees members who make these things possible. That includes DigiTeek, John Otwell, Lino Perez of Los Dos Ready Tailgating, Gary and Ruben representing the UTSA Bird Gang Tailgate, Ray Redding and Mimi Farrell, <laughs> Brandon Grill in the Grill Realty Group, Andy Elizada at Proficient Benefit Solutions, Ian McClendon and Seeker LLC, Brandon Patron, Ryan Squares, Waterman Construction, and shout out to Waterman Construction for our Actually, I'm going to go ahead and include Javon Townsend, VP of the DFW chapter of the UT's alumni section. They had a great tailgate. Waterman Construction uh, funded it, and the DFW chapter of the Alumni Association hosted it. Uh, looked like a great time. I got great feedback from everyone that I knew that was at that tailgate. Um, so shout out to you guys. And lastly, shout out to UTSA Annual Giving. Uh, they put together the Battle of, Battle of the Birds giving campaign, and raised a ton of money. UTSA came out victorious and unlocked the $10,000 
bonus gift to the student pantry on campus at UTSA. So awesome stuff. Great week to be a roadrunner. Win over North Texas just makes it all the more sweet. But Adrian, let's take a cumbia break and we'll come back to preview the Rice Owls as UTSA seeks their eighth consecutive win against Rice, which is mind-blowing. I mentioned it before the jump, before the Kumbu break. UTSA has the Rice Owls in the Alamo Dome this weekend. 6.30 broadcast on ESPNU. UTSA has won seven straight against Rice. And if you're an OG fan, you're an old head, you've been here since the Larry Coker days, it just feels surreal. We're going to talk about it on Patreon this week in our bonus episode, but man. ESPNU, Jared, that is a... Three straight national broadcasts for UTSA to round out the end of their season here. Um, that is because the Rice game is going to be on ESPNU. We just mentioned the Tulane game is going to be on ABC. Well, in between that, we play South Florida in the Alamo Dome. That will be on ESPN2. So American Athletic Conference TV deal getting the Roadrunners um, nationally syndicated broadcast, baby. You got to love that. But mm-hmm. Man, this is like a, a little bit disrespectful, dude. UTSA listed as 16-point favorites against a Rice team that I would argue is just as good, if not better, than the University of North Texas Mean Green, who UTSA only opened up as a one-possession favorite to beat. Yes, this game is in the Alamo Dome. Maybe that plays a little bit of part into it. But, dude, this Rice team is tough. This Rice team beat the University of Houston, the same Cougars that UTSA lost to in week one. Rice beat them the very next week and double overtime in the Bayou Bucket, 43-41. to 41. Yeah, they, not only did they beat them, they put 43 points against them. Indeed. And then uh, a really, really close loss to Tulane, just like UNT, two points there. And a really, really close loss to SMU, only five points. One possession losses in back-to-back weeks against the top AAC brass. This is exactly like the UNT game, Jared. Well, it sounds like Rice is taking it uh, just as intensely as a rivalry game as North Texas did. Mm -hmm. Rice wide receiver Landon Ransom today in an interview says, we don't like UTSA. (laughs) Is that so? That's... That's what the man said. Oh my goodness! No love lost with the Rice out. I don't know what it is. is. It because we bring like so many fans in the Rice Stadium. We probably bring the largest traveling contingent. Take over yeah. the place. Is it just because we beat the hell out of? I mean, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll bring five thousand fans into Rice Stadium. We'll beat you seven times in a row. Oh my! We'll gosh. beat you forty-five to zero in two Oh, uh, I wanted to read this tweet off. This is from Javi Cardenas at birdsup.com. In the two last two meetings between UTSA and Rice, the Roadrunners have outscored the Owls 86 to 7. During the seven-game winning streak, it's 205 to 81. 
Holy cow. Oh I mean, these gosh. programs are just at different levels of competition right now. And Rice is just so much better this year than they've been in the past. We'll see how it plays out. But, but yeah, it's just it's still hard for me to wrap my mind around because I still remember the days where it was like, if we could just beat Rice, we would be respectable. That was huge. That was a huge achievement for this team. We lost our first three contests against Rice during the uh, Larry Coker era. Did not get that first win until our fourth time meeting up with those guys. But Jared, I would argue this is probably the best Rice team that's been fielded in the last 10 years, or at least since hmm. the seven-game win streak has started. Hmm. They were pretty pretty dang good in 2020 <clears throat> during the COVID year. Oh, we didn't play them that year. Yeah. Yeah, UTSA canceled that one. <laughs> Strategically canceled, huh? That's my theory. <laughs> Well, Mike Bloomgren is still there preaching intellectual brutality. I think this is what his fifth or sixth year with the program. Yeah, he's really impressive stuff. He's probably the most tenured coach in the American Athletic Conference, if I had to guess. He's stuck it out for a long time with this team and um, yeah, it, built it slowly but surely, but it's finally starting to show its fruition. I think you got to give Rice a lot of credit for sticking with Bloomgren. I mean, it, like, it is so rare now for a program to commit to a coach long term. Um, mm -hmm. like one that's not winning. Obviously, it's easy for UTSA to go sin, sign a long-term contract with Jeff Trailer. Uh, but for one who's never really gotten you over the hump, so to speak, um, I think they deserve a lot of credit for letting him build this program and, and his vision. And they've allowed him to make coordinator changes. They've put more money into the budget. You know, they went and got some assistant coaches that they, they definitely did not have the salary to get before. Um, they put a lot of money into the recruiting program. And, you know, you're seeing it pay off. You know, they're finally being able to use the transfer portal now. Obviously, we're talking about JT Daniels a lot. Um, mm. So, uh, you know, it's cool to see, like, Rice become more of a football school. You know, culture-wise, like, within the student body and alumni and stuff, it's not there. But as far as they operate uh, from within the football program itself, they're starting to look like an American Athletic Conference team, which is great. And uh, hopefully just do something about that stadium and, they might really be cooking with grease over there on South Main. Just try to get some people. Just try to get some people up in that thing, man. I don't know how yeah. much Rice has to win to get a decent consensus. Maybe at least a yeah. third of the home side of the stadium to get filled up. I don't know what it's going to take, but mm -hmm. maybe one day they can get back to that uh, those great days of of yesteryear. You know, the black and white film. That you see of rice football, <laughs> leather helmets, yeah, really invested in it. Yeah, <laughs> Not so man. boys, boys smoking cigarettes on the sideline. Oh uh, my gosh, beautiful! You know, big trailers, a bit, uh, Jeff trailers, a big fan of that stuff. So, <laughs> sixty-three percent completion rating for JT Daniels, who comes to Rice by way of West Virginia. Mountaineers, baby, and he's thrown 21 touchdowns. Whoa, 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 whoa. He came from a lot more places than West Virginia, brother. You can list them well, all. Well, to, to Rice, by the way, yeah. Okay, so Georgia Bulldogs. Well, starting in order is USC Trojans. Yeah. As a freshman and sophomore. Georgia Bulldogs, the sophomore and junior. And then the West Virginia Mountaineers. And then Rice, where he's finally found his home. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Is it crazier for Frank Harris to be a seventh-year senior and been at UTSA the whole time, or for JT Daniels to be on his fourth program and still eligible somehow? I yeah, feel like JT yeah, is more improbable to me. 
I think so, man. I mean, this is a guy that played coast to coast. And I don't think it's just the fact that he's played with four programs, but it's the programs in which he has played for. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. He's gone. It, it'd be one thing like, oh, I, I signed with Michigan or Maryland and then I went to JUCO and then, you know, ended up at his G5 school or whatever to, to no. do all, all of those division one transfers. I don't know if anyone's ever done that or will ever do that. Because the rules are changed so much. Blue blood, highly celebrated, historic universities, Jared, the Trojans, Mm -hmm. Georgia Bulldogs, West Virginia. Like, this is an insane resume for a guy to be at all those stuff. Coast to coast, blue bloods from coast to coast. Yeah, uh, it's like an NCAA football. You know how they they have, like, prestige ratings on the programs? It's like he took all of those. It's like, how many time zones can I play in where I can hit prestige? And he's yeah. good, man. He he has looked really impressive at Rice. I've seen him up close this year. I went to the game against East Carolina, watched a lot of the games on TV. He's a special player. I mean, I I don't know how the injury is going to shake out for him, but I mean, I, I think he's a guy who gets some looks for the, the NFL, to be honest with you. He's played that well at Rice this year. He's elevated this team. Um, you know, I feel like the whole time in the Blue Grim era when Rice has had a their starting quarterback at the beginning of the year healthy, they've been good. And then when that quarterback inevitably gets hurt, they just slide so hard. And I think JT raised that ceiling even higher for Rice, you know, where um, they were looking like they they can maybe go on a run, you know. And uh, I think they'll still hit a bowl game. But, man, he's just arm talent is through the roof, dude. His ability to see the defense, thread the needle, pick out, pick apart his own. He's really, really good. He really is, man. He's playing excellent football. Playing excellent football. And already thrown for over 2,400 yards on the year. Um, and he's been, I think, sort of the X factor for their offense. But, you know, Jared, uh, a lot of people are really, really high on uh, freshman quarterback Chase Jenkins, who um, is behind him. So I don't know if he'll be able to take the reins if <clears throat> JT's injury really does end up being an issue here in November. Uh, I'm going to go but, ahead and, and, and put my money on it. Chase Jenkins is going to start at quarterback for Rice, and J- JT Daniels is not going to play this week. I don't see any way that they put JT out there. He said, uh, and I, I got this from Republican Football main podcast, that he didn't even remember his last drive against SMU last week. Oh, my gosh. That's this guy crazy. has played so much football. There's no way that this is his first concussion or his second concussion. Um, mm-hmm. I think Bloomgren said he was doubtful for this week. Given what we've seen from UTSA's pass rush, it it would be egregious if they put JT Daniels out on the field this week. They, they've got to sit him. That's got to be the reason why the spread is opened up at 16 points. No, it, it opened at eight, which I thought was low. I thought it was going to be like 12, and then it went up to 16 when they announced that JT was doubtful. That's got to be it. That's got to be it right there, man. He's not playing. Wow. Wow. Well, and uh, Chase Jenkins, you know, a lot of raw talent there and and people are excited about him because from Katy, Texas, Mm -hmm. but he's, he's not going to be able to walk into the Allen Dome and and beat the UTSA Roadrunners this week. He might do some impressive things, right? but his, uh, just his talent profile is way different than JT. He he is a very athletic, talented guy, Uh, but JT, like, can make those NFL level throws where he can throw that, that corner route, you know, across the field and, and hit you on the sideline. Jenkins has a cannon. He can throw it deep. Um, 
I was joking with some friends that uh, when JT Daniels went down, uh, Rice just ran the ball with Chase Jenkins as much as they could. And then when it got to the point where they were behind, they had to throw it. Uh, they had Jenkins running the uh, F it McCaffrey back there somewhere offense where he was just chunking it deep and, and hoping for the best. And uh, that, that can work against UTSA. I'm not going to discount it, but it's not going to be like this smooth, efficient, you know, West coast passing offense that we've seen out of rice so far this year. Uh, what right. concerns me more about Jenkins is his ability to get outside the pocket. Cause like I said, he is very athletic. He can run, he can scramble. And uh, UTSA has had some issues Um not so much against North Texas, but a little bit against ECU and FAU, where they were kind of reckless in their pass rush. They like they weren't staying in their rushing lanes, and then it left some wide open gaps for the quarterback to just escape and go get an easy 20, 30 yard pickup. Um, and, uh, you know, right. Jenkins is, is fast enough where he can take that and, and make even more out of it. So that's the big key of the game for me on defense for the Roadrunners is making sure that uh, they're not blitzing too much because they shouldn't need to. Um, you know, I don't know if Jenkins has the arm talent to really sit in that pocket and make you pay with those deep strikes. Um, mm. you know, unless they run a go route and the, they, they have great receivers at rice and, you know, the guy just makes a play on a 50, 50 ball. Uh, but you know, try to generate as much pressure as you can with three or four and just make sure you're staying in those lanes. So he can't just take off and run for an easy pickup. Yeah. And he won't hesitate to take that scramble whenever it opens up for him. Mm-hmm. He won't. He won't think about it. He won't double check. He will just go and take that green grass in front of him. Yeah, he's averaging nearly eight yards per carry on on his eleven rushes so far through uh, through the three games he's played. Yeah, but you sure bring the up coaching staff is going to tell him, "Hey, man, just l- look for that opening and take it. Take it. Take yeah. it. Move the chains. Move the sticks as you can." Yeah. But you mentioned uh, the receiving games, so it hasn't yeah, been all JT yeah. Daniels, man. He's had some fantastic targets to move the ball to, but namely Luke. Freaking McCaffrey, absolute stud. He is. Yeah, uh, he makes some plays that are just jaw dropping. Uh, he had one earlier this year where like his helmet came off on a touchdown catch. And just he's yeah. a little stud. Yeah, yeah, big boy stuff. Yeah, man, 45 receptions on the year. He's averaging five catches per game and uh, average of 15 and a half yards per catch. So mm-hmm. he's always moving the sticks and, uh, and, 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 he, and he does some with the ball. Once he gets the ball in his hands, he's, he's able to do some stuff too. And so just a really dynamic receiver that, uh, that I think is going to give UTSA secondary uh, some difficulty. Yeah. He's, he's definitely one of the best receivers that UTSA is going to see all season long. Uh, but UTSA has done a good job of shutting down teams. Number one pass catching threat, you know, through conference mm-hmm. play. We'll see if they'll keep that up. I mean, I do think McCaffrey is probably, better than like a Lejante Wester at FAU or a, um, Oh, who was a Macklin at uh, North Texas was a guy who had 11 touchdown catches. Um, so I think McCaffrey is better than those dudes. Um, but you know, if they can keep him under hundred receiving guards, they're going to be in really good shape. I'd say. Okay. Yeah. It's gonna be a tall order. Yeah. Even with a backup quarterback in there for sure. Uh, I mean, like, McCaffrey does not need a beautifully thrown perfect ball that hits him in stride to score. You know, he's going to go up and one hand it over the back. You know, he's, he's a stud. He's a freak like that. Other guy to look out for is Dean Connors. So he's interesting. He's, he's definitely like, um, like a Swiss army knife of an offensive weapon. They'll put him at running back and wide receiver, which you don't see a whole lot of. Um, He's a leading rusher so far in the season. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep, so he's a good player. He's not quite as explosive as McCaffrey, but 
definitely one to look out for. It's a huge focal point of their offense. Leading rusher and the second most leading receiver. But they've also got a true freshman in Rawson McNeil at wide receiver who um, he's a stud and, and he'll get more uh, bigger chunks. Mm-hmm. And you'll see be thrown to Dean Connors. He's kind of another option next to Luke McCaffrey and McCaffrey's covered up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Offensive line for Rice, I would say, is middling at best. They're definitely not anywhere near one of the stronger offensive lines that we've seen for Rice. They're usually pretty good in the trenches. Uh, this group is, is, eh. You know, I think there's definitely going to be some opportunity there uh, for Jamori Robinson and Trey Ward to get after the quarterback. Uh, but the name to watch is Clay Servin, who I feel like is like a three-year starter for them at tackle. Um, he's really, really strong. But uh, those interior guys and the other tackle are beatable, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about Rice's defense? I don't know. I don't know about the defense. I don't have a firm read on them. To be honest with you, there have been times where I've been impressed with them and they've been better than I expected. Mm. And then there's times where I'm like, I don't think they're very good. So I guess okay. they're inconsistent. I, I, you could probably yeah. say the same thing about UTC's defense too. I think that's fair. Certainly fair. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they seem to give up a, a good amount of yards, a good amount of points. You know, they've gotten into like the, the shootout fashion of games a little bit to a degree. Mm-hmm. But... Maybe a bend, don't break, although they've broken a couple times, but more of a bend, don't break defense. Um, certainly not shut down by any means, I don't think, in, in no. any department of defense. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with that. They do have some pretty good players. Uh, DeBraylon Carroll is the nose tackle for them. Uh, he's a guy that's impressed me since his, I think he played as a true freshman. Um, he's been good. You know, uh, Luke LePay has kind of struggled a little bit at center against North Texas. And DeBraylon Carroll, I think, is probably a better nose tackle than what North Texas had. Um, mm-hmm. So it's definitely a matchup to watch right there. If you get beat at nose tackle, it's hard to have a good productive play from the offense. Um, they have a transfer linebacker, DJ Arkansas, that's impressed me. I think he got into the starting uh, rotation for them uh, this past week. Uh, he's a hard-hitting player. Um, and then Gabe Taylor, safety, a name that... It's probably familiar to UTSA fans. You know, he's been there forever. Cornerback Sean Fresh, pretty good. So, they're, I mean, they're they're an okay defense. I'd say middle of the pack, I guess, if I had to put them in a, in a grade with the rest of the conference. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is a game that's in the Alamo Dome. UTSA should be able to go out there and handle Rice with a backup quarterback pretty handily, especially at home. Jared, is this one of those games where – Maybe not expect to see, but want to see UTSA get up big and, and get some second string in there by the time fourth quarter rolls around. I don't know. It's hard because if JT Daniels is going to play, I'd be like, oh, this is going down to the wire. Right. But I really think he's a huge part of their success. So my my concern for this game just dropped tremendously with, with JT probably being out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, ideally, UTSA can coast a little bit. They can rotate guys in, try to stay healthy. Short week coming up with USF coming on next Friday. So I guess if I have to give a score prediction, I'd say something like UTSA 38, Rice 21. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be in that same ballpark, Jared. I think it'd be an enormous win for UTSA. Probably 42 to 14, 42 to 17 Roadrunners. Yeah. I mean, I think they dominate this one, get out ahead. And um, maybe you get some Owen McGowan in there for some second half action. 
Yeah, I'd be nice Start to cycle sure. your guys out. Get some guys some rest. You have a two-week homestand before you got to go to New Orleans playing Rice, which we thought this was going to be a much harder opponent, harder game, especially coming off of a big emotional win in Denton mm-hmm. on the rivalry game. You earn mm-hmm. bowl eligibility. But now it seems like you've got a really good cushion to go out there, take care of business early against both Rice and USF to get your guys the rest that they need to go down to NOLA. I think UTSA is is due for because they have this every year, that game where they just take their opponent lightly, they don't show up, and they either lose, or they gotta pull it out, you know, in the fourth quarter. Um, I think UTEP was like that last year. North Texas was that game the year before that. So I feel like it's coming. It's either gonna be Rice or USF for sure. Um, we'll see how they do. I think Rice is probably gonna come in prepared with some option plays for Chase Jenkins. So I hope UTSA is ready for that. Um, and that's kind of related to what I was going to say, you know, when, when Daniels goes down, it's not like, okay, well, we can just lean on our running game and and lean into that more. They really don't have any rushing attack whatsoever. I mean, they put a receiver and a running back to to try to move the ball. They don't have really a, a back that they feel good about um, only running for three and a half yards per carry on the year. And of course, UTSA's defensive front is, you know, dominating games in, in the recent streak. So yeah, I think even if UTSA comes out a little flat, they should still definitely be able to to take this one down the stretch. I'm glad you brought up the hangover games against UT uh, to against UTEP and UNT. Those were both 2021 and 2022 regular season finale games. Those are the last mm-hmm. games of the regular season that UTSA played. Both of those games after clinching conference yeah. championship appearance and home field advantage. So UTSA knew they were going to play a conference championship at home in the Alamo Dome in both of those contests in the in the regular yeah, season. Finale. That ain't happening this year. <laughs> that is not happening this year. So I'd like to imagine that this team still remains hungry and doesn't have quite the hangover collapse that we've seen in the last game of the regular season in the last two years. You did earn bowl eligibility last week, and we know this team is just dying for a bowl win. But I know that the conference they're not they're not going and jumping in the San Antonio River because they got bowl eligible. Ooh, I love that smug, Jared. Yes, Shots fired. There's levels to this, guys. Congratulations on your first pizza party. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's yeah, a good man. point. I I also have been kind of battling this thought in my head that that Army game was UTSA's big hangover letdown no show appearance mm, yeah. I hope that's the case shout out army for beating air force this week or last week by the way already doing micro resco a favor getting that aac invite let's go but yeah we'll see how it plays out with the way trailer's demeanor was in this week so far in his pressers i think that they're keeping their foot on the gas so yeah let's hope it stays that way gotta take care of business for Tulane to mean anything. So you take care of business this week. You take care of business against yep. USF. Do what you're That's supposed so. to do. I, I will be missing this game due to a wedding. Boo, fall weddings. Know. Don't do it. If you're listening, do not do it. Do not let your spouse do it. Don't do it. I've seen a lot of uh, pushback from like some national people where they're like, just have your fall wedding, man. It's fine. Like we all we all need to take this stuff a little bit less seriously. <laughs> I'm kind of I, I I'm in both both sides of it. Like at my age now, I don't like throw a little hissy fit if I can invite her to a fall wedding anymore. But I also did not have a fall wedding myself. 
There's 52 weeks in the calendar year. Football season, like for most schools, is 12 weeks, maybe 13, maybe 14. That's a pretty low percentage of the year that you could avoid. I'm just saying. I just think that if you're going to have a fall wedding, you better not have any sort of hard feelings or resentment to the game streamers that are going to be locked into their cell phone <laughs> at the reception, I at the dinner table, during the ceremony. They got it up. It's on the lap. It's hanging on the coaster. It's up against the <laughs> glass of water. And they're locked in. They're oh, constantly man. checking the score updates. You can't be mad at that guy. You can't be mad at that guy. That's fair, I guess. All right, well, we'll go ahead and wrap things up with a thank you to our big money donors on Patreon. Um, this week, our bonus episode, we're going to do a look back of the Rice rivalry series. I, I feel comfortable calling it a rivalry series. I mean, it's not like that hated rival, but the schools are three hours away. You got players talking trash in the media, evidently. Um, Houston and San Antonio is a natural rivalry. It's in-state, yeah. you know. We're competing yeah. for recruits to a degree. Sure. And... Look, I think uh, I think you know you, this was the team that UTSA had the barometer for mm-hmm. uh, against for, for a long time. So yeah, no, I think that's fair, Jared. I think it's fair. Yeah, it, there's different kinds of rivalries. We've been over this, but we'll call it a rivalry. Um, so we did one of these for North Texas last year, and we got rave reviews on it. Uh, I really enjoyed just kind of going back through history of those games, especially now. You know, UTSA is at a point where there are like hardcore fans that weren't around for those early years. And I imagine it's right. pretty interesting for them to hear from, uh, you know, us old guys <laughs> about what those early days were like and, and how the kind of perception and um, and feel of the program has changed since then. So we'll be doing that. We're also going to preview the basketball season a little bit. Um, I haven't had a single person reach out to me and ask where our basketball content was at, which is really freaking depressing. Uh, but we will be talking about the basketball team on Patreon this coming week. They're one and coming off an overtime win against Western Illinois. So get excited for that or don't um you can skip that second half of the podcast that's fine but it's there for you if you want it all right well thank you to ben tovar the bunch family second spread quota on the san antonio podcast network alejandro benavides dan nerdahal host of around the birdbath jacob basso is board president for the utc alumni association maddie and mandy Jenna and Andy Anzadua, Rick Cortez of Red Road Grillers, and Homefield Apparel, where you can use the discount code UTSA once Homefield to get 15% off of your first purchase. Thank you guys all so much. Go check out AlmaAuto.com, buy some merch. Our Morthos collection will soon be retired. You got a couple days, weeks left on that. Yeah, what, what's the one what's week? Date on you this? got one week. It requires it retires November 13th, Monday, my birthday, in fact. And so you've got six days. You really only have this weekend. If you want to, the other Los Muertos item, you have to order it by the time this weekend is over or you don't get it. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Thank you guys all for listening. Uh, Go follow us on social media if you're not already. And we'll see you guys on Patreon later this week. 